Welcome to the Jig Is Up. If you guys are interested in exclusive Jig Is Up episodes, uh, some really great rewards, you can head over to our Patreon page, and a link will be in the description of this episode, and pledge any amount you'd like. What does this do for the show? It's going to allow us to get out to more events, more communities, and be able to bring on more guests. Most importantly, it keeps our show completely advertisement-free and independent, which is super important to us. Today's guest is a guy that's been a guide in Jasper National Park for years. He's been, he's Métis. He's opened and been operating his own uh, guide company in Jasper called the Jasper Tour Company. And more recently, he's become part of a network of Indigenous companies focusing on Indigenous tourism. I hope you guys enjoy my conversation with Joe Yuri. All right, I want to welcome to the show uh, Joe from Jasper Tour Company in Jasper, Alberta. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me, Darcy. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about how you you, you, how you run a guide company in Jasper. So tell us kind of, how did you end up in Jasper? I know you're not from Jasper originally, so how did you kind of end up there and, and end up being a, a tour guide and stuff? Well, I came to Jasper 30 years ago this year, so 1988, and uh, it was kind of just on a whim. Um, I think that there's a little bit more of a backstory to the whim as time went on. But initially, I was working in uh, forestry with a buddy out in BC in Prince George. And uh, our jobs were done. It was the end of September. Before that, I'd been working in mines. And I I really didn't I, – I, I saw myself experiencing an early death in the mine shaft. So I was like, <laughs> I don't want to go back to that. Yeah. So, so uh, we saw a sign basically said, uh, Jasper, jobs, jobs, jobs. And we went. Well, that sounds all right. Uh, and uh, we arrived in the mountains in uh, in October of 1988. Wow. And uh, yeah, it was it was kind of wild because at that point in time, I wasn't really aware of the connection to where I live now here in Jasper and my own personal history. But it uh, you know slowly eroded until it was there, and I could see it all. It was pretty cool. I did. I wasn't a guide from the moment I got here. Yeah. I didn't start guiding until the early 2000s, oh, okay. uh, 2000, 2001. So I've been at it now for uh, 17 years. Wow. Um, but uh, it, it, it slowly, slowly came to be. <laughs> well, and then you started your own company uh, how long ago? Uh, 2011. We, uh, so, you know, I was out there doing essentially a similar thing to what I do now, uh, but things started to grow it's a pretty busy place now i mean you're, you're down in calgary i imagine you step off to bath every now and again oh yeah absolutely. Um, and you see like it's especially in the summer months it's it's kind of organized chaos down there yeah um well some <laughs> some of the the companies that i worked for were growing 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 and as much as i appreciate their their uh their efforts um i wasn't really a big fan of being out on the landscape with hordes and hordes of people yeah. and my wife actually she was the one to recognize it first and she was sort of like jesus you're turning into a bit of a bastard <laughs> um <laughs> so, so she said she she could see my misery and so she said well just just step off that bus and uh and start your own thing and 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 and, and dial it in the way that you want to so now it's you know, it's a partnership, my wife and I, and uh, and it's not a big company. It's just us. And we have a few other guides that work with us. But basically, you get out onto the landscape with just a few people, no more usually than about a dozen. Okay. Um, 
And uh, that way you, you, you have a far greater opportunity to sort of reach everybody. You know, if you're out there with masses of people, it's really hard to do. Yeah. And uh, it's all it's also easier. You know, it's very important to me that my guests um, kind of experience this place, like get their feet on the ground. Uh, we, we do travel about the park, but we, we, we take the opportunity to get your feet on the ground. And really the attempt by me anyway is to – to make them try to feel like they're one of the very first people to walk through these mountains. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really cool way to look at it. Yeah. It's, I, I think it provides a hell of a lot better of an experience, not to, you know, to belittle those other, you know, offerings because, Hey, you know what? I mean, there's some people who just can't get on the landscape. You know, there's a lot of busloads full of seniors and good for them for getting off the couch and going, having a look around. But, yeah. um, you know, they can't, they're, they can't get too far away from the bus and you know, whatever that's, that's good for them. At least they're out and doing it. But for those people who can, they're the people that I want to come with me and I want them to get their hands dirty sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, it's funny. I used to teach scuba diving and I found that too, that there was, uh, there, at least here in Banff, there was a real point in time where all of the scuba diving shops in Calgary were just taking hordes of people out there to try to teach them scuba diving, do the open water part of their scuba diving. So you'd have, you know, three instructors and 37 students, and it was just chaos. And I did that, I, you know that. I did that about twice, and I was like, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to do like six students, just me, and we're going right. to swim around and have fun. And it, it was way it, better. It, it is. And it, you know what, there's a moment where you realize that somebody kind of lost the plot and it all became just about money 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 and don't get me wrong i mean we need money we need money to exist yeah but how much of it do we truly honestly need and we you know my wife and i we we uh we get by we've got three kids we uh we we pay our bills we get a holiday nice food on the table we're not going to ever be rich but we're lifestyle millionaires right yeah well that's the thing when as soon as you say you live in jasper or something everybody just i i think it mentally has this picture that like you're just living in heaven everything is just rosy and which uh it might well, be it, i don't know it, <laughs> I, you know what it, it it can be a little bit utopic you know it can be yeah. um there's certainly things creeping into utopia right now that are kind of scary pine beetle being the big thing but um <clears throat> It's important, I think, like when my kids were growing up, I mean, I might drive them into the city and get them stuck in rush hour traffic. And they're like, what the hell are we doing here? And I'm going, I'm just wanting you to to know what everyone else does on a regular basis, just so that you appreciate so that you appreciate where you live, you know? Absolutely. Uh, you know, the skies, the skies are clear. The water's clean. Yeah. But, you know, you still have to be an advocate for a better world. Uh despite the the beauty of the world that you live in in your in your little bubble you know yeah absolutely and, uh, i think they're fairly uh they're fairly keen on that sort of thing but well and and i think that's a great thing is they'll see like okay well here's here's this beautiful place we're living in but really the urbanization the urban sprawl is just continuing so it's even especially down here in calgary we notice it where we're just getting bigger and and wider and wider yeah so. It's pretty vast, isn't it? I mean, it I is. think Calgary, when I drive into Calgary and I see the housing, especially right on the outskirts of town, and at first it just baffles me uh, where you see those houses and it looks like if you uh, 
piss out your bathroom window, you can pee in your neighbor's toilet because <laughs> they're that close together. Absolutely. Um, but, but from an infrastructure perspective, it makes excellent sense. You know, it, yeah. it really does. But uh, I, I think, uh, you know, despite Calgary, I mean, uh, despite your close proximity to the mountains and, and to the, you know, the rolling plains right there, I, 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 I meet tons of people from the city, Edmonton or Calgary, who just have no clue about, you know, what's going on out there in the real or not the real in the natural world, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. I, uh, I think that there's a lot of people that just, uh, they never get out of the city. And, you know, I'm not going to judge people. It is what it is, but um, I think it's unfortunate. I think you're, you're really missing out on a huge part of life if you don't ever get out there to the, to the natural world and, and just kind of sit by a tree or, you know, listen yeah. to running water and yeah. stuff like that. It, it, and, and that exactly right there listening to running water and you can do it in calgary you know the bow river and whatnot as long as you get up early enough before all the traffic starts to run but yeah. if you take if you take that one minute of your day and you sit by you just close your eyes and and, and hush up for a moment and listen to the running water whoa suddenly it's just it's like taking drugs you know suddenly you're like wow that yeah. was amazing and you and you want more and it doesn't take long before suddenly you're like hey you know what I got to make these escapes uh, a little bit more frequently. Absolutely. And, and and you're right. You can do it right there. You don't necessarily have to go all the way into the mountains. Yeah. You know? Well, that's just so, it. You know, even in the cities, you can find lots of like parks and, and, and stuff like natural areas that are fairly sure. quiet or sheltered away from the city and just take a moment to be quiet in, in them. And uh, oh, yeah. that's, that's one of the best, best getaways you can do because it's, you know, uh, it's quick and easy. So, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah, for sure. So, it, being a guide in Jasper, I mean, we have all these. Uh, <laughs> every once in a while, I'll see these posts of like you know things that uh, guides have been asked, and it's you know all these weird questions from tourists, and <laughs> I, I can't imagine some of the things you you've seen or experienced. Um, <laughs> is there stuff that I guess heard, stands out for yeah, you? Yeah, there, there there's some weird stuff, some funny stuff. I mean. I, I mean, somebody down in Banff, I can't even remember. I think they used to work at the Parks Info Center. They were a parks employee. Once put a, put a, a book out called, like, Does the Bear Shit in the Woods or something like that. And, <laughs> and it was just, like, a compilation of the ridiculous things that people ask. But, you know, and, and I say ridiculous in a very kind and affectionate sort of way because when you do get into some of those really urban places and those urban places like going overseas let's say to europe where they've been urban for that long we're talking centuries of it yeah. they're that far disconnected some of those questions suddenly aren't that ridiculous anymore you know oh yeah um you can see how they come by it honestly but it still makes us chuckle our asses off right um but yeah i don't know like one time uh start kind of chuckling to my guess well you know of all the places they couldn't find a picnic table they got to do it on the side of the road ha 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 <laughs> we pull up the road we get about 300 meters up the road and all of a sudden spare comes across the road in front of us from the left to the right and then directly behind her is the big boar who's in love with her right yeah and i'm like oh shit because they turn and they start moving towards the the germans barbecue right? oh wow so but they drop down in a ditch and into the bush so the germans can't see them so i spin around and I start heading back, but now I'm driving down the wrong side of the road, waving my fists madly, head out the window. Hey, 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 hey. And these guys step around their vehicle to look and see what I'm freaking out about, but they can't see the bears, so they just think I'm some kind of an idiot. <laughs> and uh, 
Finally, I come whipping up and I turn my vehicle sideways and I jump out. And just then the bears come out of the ditch and they're like, oh, you know, whatever. <laughs> Freaky swearing in German. And I run around the vehicle and they all I'm yelling bear, bear, bear. And they jump in their van, slam the door. But they leave the barbecue just puffing away there. So I reach very carefully underneath, grab the thing by the legs and lift it up. And I'm standing looking at these three wide-eyed Germans through their window going, you can't leave this here. And they they open the door, they reach, grab the barbecue, pull it in the van, slam the door and start driving down the road, smoke billowing out the windows of the thing. And I jump back in my vehicle, slam the door. And just as the bears come around the passenger side and my guests are like, oh my God, we thought you were going to eat it there. you know. Um, so anyway, we have a chuckle, we drive along. We go up farther, we turn around, we come back, and the bears had gone down into the bush again. And we're down the road, another couple of clicks, come around a corner, and here's the Germans barbecuing again on the side of the road. And just as we're pulling up, the two bears come out of the woods again. And this time I'm like, natural selection, we're on it, we're out of here. You know, just keep, keep rolling, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these kinds of things are, they seem to be happening more and more and more frequently because there's just more and more people coming with sort of not, you know, they don't have the kind of savviness to understand just protocol sort of thing. But again, I, I think that some of them come by it honestly. And probably in the Germans case, they, they, they think it's a legitimate experience, right? Just to park on the side of the road and set up your barbecue. Yeah. But, well, and I think the thing too for us is we got to keep in mind that, you know, grizzly bears and stuff don't live all over the world. So to, to a lot of people, grizzly bears really are all they know is they're teddy bears. You know what? I uh, I say that frequently, and, I, and this is how I will sort of bring it into their own reality. When I see people, the bear jams and people crowding the bears, I tell them there's eight species of bear on the world in the world, only one of which, which is not endangered at some level or form, uh, and, and that's the North American black bear. There's 7.6 billion people on the planet, uh, and I ask my guests, have you ever seen a bear before? And usually most of them, nope, never. Well not in the wild seeing one in the zoo yeah and uh, i say well if we should see a bear tonight you're amongst the tiniest of fractions who can say i've seen a bear in the wild and yeah. the way that life is going for bears you may be amongst the tiniest of fractions who'll ever be able to say that you know unless we don't pull up our pants and stop uh, crapping all over their uh, ecosystems absolutely sort of thing you know. so do you uh i guess going back to a little bit more serious topic do you find uh, in the in the national parks, like in Jasper, at least where you're at, um, are you finding it more and more where things are? I guess the habitat, the ecosystem, is getting damaged more and more. Is there a level of plateau that it's uh, hit, or is it still kind of, you know? You know, uh, there, there's the numbers of visitors to the national parks is it's increasing exponentially, and it has in the last few years, in particular, last year I guess was probably a very a big banner year because you know correlating with Canada 150. Yeah. You know you have you have all of this um, marketing that's been going on for you know heavy duty for well over uh, you know a decade to two, and then they bumped it up with this free you know everyone can go to the parks for free. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was a nice gesture I suppose, but I don't know that everybody was well prepared and planned for everyone taking them up on their offer. You know, <laughs> it's like you, you invite some friends over and the word spreads and all of a sudden 50 people are at your door and you've only got potato chips for five. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, um, so 
for the most part, though, the majority of the guests, they're not really getting too far off the beaten path. And so it's really the beaten path that's taking a beating, right? They're, mm. they're, uh, and they're trying to accommodate all these people. Uh, and some of the, um, you know, some of the wildlife that have adapted to the beaten path, some people like to call it habituation. I, I, I mean, I don't see it as habituation as much as it's adaption until people start, you know, feeding them and whatnot. Yeah. They're the ones that are suffering the most because people just don't get it, you know, like, um, I, and I joke about this too to my guests. I say, you know, like you come along and you see a bear jam and people are out of their cars and they're that close. And people will always say, if you try to tell them that parks just doesn't have enough staff to police these sort of things. And, and you talk to them and they say, Oh, we didn't know. We didn't know. And I'm like, eh, bullshit, you know? <laughs> and I, I mean, I don't say that to them because I don't want to, you know, belittle them or anything like that. But to be honest, like one of the things I'll say to my people, I say, you know what? I know that they know. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I, the reason that I know that is the simple fact that I've never been to India. Right. You ever been to India, Darcy? No, I never have. No, but I bet, you know, if you go there, you shouldn't go near the friggin' tigers, right? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. But you've never, have you ever seen one in the wild, Darcy? No, I have not. No, and I I wouldn't be trying to get a picture of it. Right, all the way over here, you know that. So they can't tell me that they didn't know you shouldn't go near that bear or you shouldn't go near that lion in Africa. You know that? It's just, it's just, well, it was common sense, but sense isn't common anymore. But um, anyway, um, you know, things like that. Um, there are other issues that are a little bit more political with the park um, in terms of conservationism. And uh, we have some amazing, amazing people on the ground here in the park who are doing their best uh, to, um, uh, to protect the place. And I don't know if you guys know, and I think you must have seen that article. Uh, it was in the Calgary Papers just a few days ago about uh, the federal government looking deeper into uh, too much development in the national park. I, I did see that, yeah. Both in Banff and yeah. Jasper, they said they're going to try to slow down the commercialization or something. Right. So what's, you know, that's a great sentiment, but what's left to be uh, to seen is if it's just lip service or not. Um, how you do that, I don't know. And, of course, you know, we want people to come to the park. We want them to try to experience nature. But it, for me, the, the, the point has always been how do you, establish some form of balance you know like I, I i need to have balance in what i do in order to justify what i do yeah i can't just simply go out there and and when i see things getting a little too disney like it just it gets it's it's tough right yeah it is um, and, and and the thing that well the thing that made me curious from that article was is i don't think the sprawl of like in my case Banff because i go there quite a, quite a bit yeah um I don't see the sprawl as growing, and I don't think it has for quite some time. So I don't, no. I don't know what they mean by that either. Because I'm like, well, there's businesses there, and we're not like building skyscrapers there. So I don't know. No, no. So you know, you must know. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but uh, there's kind of a you know, you've got your municipal boundary both in Banff and Jasper, yeah. and both Banff and Jasper had vote. They 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 used to both be solely governed 100% by Parks Canada. So. Ottawa, essentially, right? Oh, wow. Um, and then in the 80s, there was a vote for autonomy. At that point in time, Bam voted for it. Jasper voted against it. And it, it wasn't really that Jasper didn't want autonomy. It's just, I think, the guise of it at the time wasn't appealing to Jasper. Right. There was, uh, there was a fear that 
things would go off the deep end that it would just you know the sprawl would occur yeah so um they 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 restructured a deal and jasper finally got it in like 2000 um whereas um you have the municipal footprint and despite the municipal control everything that has to do with land is still controlled by parks canada you know so I mean, mm. as something as simple, let's say I'm looking out the window of my house and there's a tree growing right in front of my window, an indigenous tree, uh, but it's blocking a view of that mountain. I can't just go into my yard and cut that tree down, despite the fact that it's on my leasehold and my property, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So something as simple as that or as trying to put up a building, there's height restrictions and so on and so forth. Yeah. So what you've seen in Banff and what you've seen here is basically, and over the years, of, uh, if you've gone to Banff, you've seen old places taken down and new structures bigger structures yeah um going up in the same places yeah that's true um that that's what their sprawl is now and banff is a little bit different than jasper because banff has you know this close proximity to over a million people yeah so they're dealing with a daily count that we don't see as much because if you're living in calgary you can't you you, you can wake up in the morning and go hey what do you want to do today oh let's let's take a drive into banff and uh you go to banff and then you go home yeah so you're, you're not only going to have all those hotel rooms and campsites and everything full but you're going to have people who are just in and out in day. I heard lot yes or last year that there were lineups from the park gates out by Canmore there all the way back to the Stony Nakoda resort there on some days. Yeah, I I would believe it actually. Uh <laughs> it, it was insane. Yeah. Yeah, that's nuts. That is nuts. So, you know, those issues are um things that have to be dealt with, but there's certainly they have, you know, they're being dealt with on another level than I'm, uh, than I'm on. You know, I, what Parks Canada will have these forums and they will put things up for a public consultation, and I try my best to be involved in it, just so you know, like the guy who doesn't vote but bitches about the government. You know, it's like, sorry, buddy, but your voice doesn't count. I, I at least get out there and say my part so that when I do bitch or whatnot, that I have, <laughs> that I have the right to do so. Right? Absolutely. There's a lot to bitch about, Um, you know, and some of the things, one of the things that's really interesting, I don't know if you read about or heard about this last fall, but uh, the simp, uh, some people of the Shwapmuk people, Shuswap people from the interior BC, they conducted uh, conducted a hunt here last fall. I think I remember hearing about that, yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot of outrage because it was kind of sprung onto the, into the press and whatnot sprung onto everybody basically the day that it started and the vitriol was disgusting i mean the racism was just ridiculous oh yeah and i think i think a lot of people could have uh if they had had a better explanation they might not have opened their mouths up quite so vehemently but um i'm hoping one of the things that will help save the parks uh, or protect them is that there'll be more and more and more indigenous consultation in the park. And there, there, there's precedents already. Like if you look at Guayanas, uh national park on Haida Gwaii, yeah. um, the, the Haida people are a huge, huge factor in that place. Right. And, you know, like with most of our cultures across Canada, everything is so intricately intertwined with the land um, that to protect your culture, you've got to protect the landscape. Um, Absolutely. So, 
you know, these folks came in and they conducted a hunt. It was a small, I think they took a total of like five elk, uh, two sheep and a mule deer or something like that. Okay. And, uh, you know, some of the outrage, oh my God, if all the Indians get out there and start shooting animals, there'll be no animals left. Nobody bitches about the hundreds and hundreds of animals that CN kills every year on the railroad tracks or CP down in Banff for that matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, nobody says a damn word. And that's just the calculated numbers just through the national park are sky high. Never mind across the whole country. Right. Oh yeah. Um, But I'm hoping that one of the things that will, you know, sort of help the parks out is having more indigenous consultation uh, and maybe even some sort of managerial positions as well. Um, The the thing with those folks coming in is that they're from BC. They are unseated, unsurrendered, no treaties, no nothing. So as far as they're concerned, they had every right to come in and do it, right? Absolutely, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it is right now. We're in this stage here. Uh, there was a national geographic article a couple of years ago when, uh, the U S park service had their hundredth birthday and the article was called, uh, loving our parks to death. Oh yeah. And, and that's kind of the stage we're at. Like the people showing up, they are legitimately here for the right reasons, but just, there's just not the education, uh, um, well, it's difficult to educate that many people on, yeah, come and love it. But there's parameters to how you do that, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so we'll see. Time will tell. Well, and, and you're in an interesting spot, too, because you're in Jasper, which uh, was only – they kicked the Métis out in order to make Jasper. So there's and there's actually that history to it, which yeah. I find very few people even know. Um, even, yeah, it, even amongst Métis people. So, you know, does that ever play, I guess, does that play into how it, you kind of look at things? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it totally does. And it's also played a big role in kind of opening up doors, uh, to my own history, to re rediscovering or reconnecting with my own roots. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I first arrived in the park, a couple of things. One, I, I, I didn't really know anything about the uh, Mountain Métis people who got the boot when uh, the area became a park in the uh, early 1900s. Yeah. And I wasn't really all that connected with my own personal history for two reasons. One, I was that young and nobody really gives a shit about history until they feel they're starting to become a part of history. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> And then the other thing was that, you know, Basically, I think starting with my grandmother, I mean, my grandmother was the first uh, generation of Métis people in my family who were part of that, you know, hiding in plain sight generation. Yeah. And so so there was a lot of history that was just kind of kept away. I mean, while I always knew that was our history, we didn't really talk about it too much. Yeah. So, you know, I started delving into the Mountain Métis and it's something that I'll uh, I'll deliver on some of my tours on, on the experience, but I you know I try to stay away from storytelling in terms of personal stories because they're not really my stories to tell. But from mm. a, a purely historical context, I, I I try to do it justice, and I and I don't candy coat things. I mean, parks had kind of the government had kind of done that in the past. It wasn't a nice thing, you know, yeah. but. Uh, you know, in, ter- in part in terms of reconciliation, now they're trying to to make good, um, and uh, you know they're, they're doing better with it. Yeah. But I had this one, one, this one time, this one thing happened to me. I was uh, actually trail running, and I was running by myself 
uh, it was like 22k trail run, but the, the, the trail that I took, I pop out onto this place, uh, and it's along the Athabasca river. And, uh, there was an old homestead of one of the Métis families. It was John Moberly's homestead, which is actually burnt in 1989. Oh. Um, yeah, I, I, I saw it before it burnt. And I actually know the people who burnt it. It was a total accident, and they were teenagers. They'd been climbing up at uh, Colin, Mount Colin, and they came down, and they were freezing. The weather was crap, and they lit a fire inside on the floor. It was a dirt floor. Yeah. And and they put it out, but it had leached underground. And oh, it spread okay. To the, they, they, yeah, so it was really tragic. But the remnants are there, you know, about sort of shoulder height. Yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> I'm, I'm running on. I burst through the trees, and I run onto this plane. And all of a sudden, I don't know if I was having a vision or if I was dehydrated, (laughs) but it was a really hot day. Uh, But suddenly there in front of me was John Moberly's homestead and it was complete. It was intact. And as I came running up to the place, John Moberly came out and leaned against the front door and lit up a pipe. And I came running up sort of eyes wide open and he was like, hey, I know you. And I said, no, you don't. And he was like, okay, no, I don't know you, but I know your people. And I kind of shook my head and it was gone. And the place was in ruins again. And I was just like, okay. And then I took off again. But it was that moment, you know, I kind of buried that. I didn't tell anybody about it for a long time because I thought everyone would think, yeah, right, buddy. What kind of drugs are you on? Um, But it suddenly then I started looking into it and it started to dawn on me, you know, that era, you know, my history is on the Athabasca river. My people came from red river settlements, uh, arriving in 1860. And back then during, you know, the dying days of the fur trade, everybody along the river would have known each other. The river was a means of an economy of transportation and communication. Yeah. So there was a history that my great-great-grandfather played into, which is fairly prominent in the fur trade history and in Alberta history, that definitely when he did it, uh, which was to kill the Nephi Portage, uh, uh, establishing a trade route through the Grand Rapids on the Athabasca River, that the word would have traveled from community to community. Hey, did you hear what shot did? Did you hear what shot did? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and then they would have hooked up. Everyone hooked up in Fort Edmonton once a year and had a little hoo-ha and i'm sure it was it was big news so when i had that little revelation suddenly it was like wow 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 and i really that was the point where i started really trying to bring more of that history and my own history into what it is that i do right yeah yeah now my grandmother was born on a trap line probably 20 odd kilometers into the bush outside of fort chip one and uh you know her her parents were trappers at the time. Uh, I, I, now I'm out looking for animals a lot uh, in form of a, an economy as well, but I'm not killing them and wearing them. I'm just taking yeah. people to, to to have a look at them and, yeah. uh, and talk about them. And I am trying to learn more about the animals, not just from the biologic perspective, but from uh, a more of an indigenous perspective, the significance of certain animals and, mm. you know, and how, what we learned from animals, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Really, well, really, 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 really fascinated with wolves from that perspective because I see a lot of our societies and the evolution of our societies being in such correlation with with wolves. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. No kidding, eh? Yeah. Well, and, and I don't think people understand how impactful wolves are to the entire ecosystem 
Um, no, no. And I, you know, there was an article put out a, lo- a little while, a couple of years ago, about how when they reintroduced wolves into Yellowstone, how it changed, like even the course of the rivers changed and, you know, yeah. stuff like that. And, and it, even for me, I was reading it and I was thinking, wow, like this this is more impact than even I understood. And, oh, I, thought yeah. I, and I thought I was really up on it, right? But uh, The connectivity is huge. That whole Yellowstone project and the, even to further that connectivity just back to me here is those wolves came from here from Jasper and just outside Jasper National Park. The 32 yeah. wolves that they introduced into Yellowstone came from here. Uh, so go. we have a connection to that whole story, but you're right. I remember exactly what you're talking about. And uh, actually you can find these cool sort of short two and a half minute videos about that yes. reintroduction in Yellowstone yeah. and the connectivity. And like, yeah, what you're saying is the wolves are now taking down more ungulate. The ungulate were eating too much, which was allowing the rivers to erode, you know, yeah. these aspens. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just unbelievable. Well, and then you think, okay, well that's wolves. And like, I know just, uh, I think it was last spring or fall, they reintroduced uh, bison out into Banff into where they naturally were and and i can't help but think you know i mean because there was people like wow you know do we really need to do that and i thought the whole point though is is you don't understand the balance that has been lost since those bison aren't there Um, again yeah again you can look up i actually i was just down in canmore uh last monday and I had I, I sat in at an inter, or, uh, uh, parks did a little interp on the buffalo reintroduction into the Panther Valley, and that sort of connectivity again, it's unbelievable. Like they went through right through, you know, what did they say? There was something like three hundred different species of insects that could be found in one buffalo patty. Three hundred yeah. species. Oh, wow. You know, the tufting for birds' nests. Like I mean, it's just again, it's endless, right? Um, it's a pretty cool program. It's a really cool program. I think um, if you look up to the Buffalo Treaty that was signed down in Montana between the different indigenous peoples, they're mostly Blackfoot people, I think. Yeah. Um, but in your area down there with the Blackfoot, different Blackfoot Confederacy there, there, you know, I think there's hopes too that they'll have some more buffalo out on the plains, just kind of roaming free, um, hopefully sooner than later. Well, I sure hope so. I, I think there is a group here that is working to that end. Um, to certainly reintroduce the buffalo back to the prairies. Um, yep. So I and I really truly hope that that happens. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, I don't know. It's just there's a balance there that needs to be replaced, and I don't know if we'll ever truly get back to that balance. But I mean, we can certainly no. do what we can yeah. to get as close as we can, right? That kind of balance, I mean, what their, they, their estimates, some, depending on what you read, their estimates are anywhere from sort of like 30 to 90 million buffalo roaming the Great Plains when Europe rolled out into it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the one thing, I mean, certainly they, they could be Elk Island National Park outside of Edmonton is sort of the birthplace of where all of these uh, buffalo are coming from for reintroductions. That's where the Banff buffalo came from. But, you know, buffalo need a lot of space to roam and everything's bisected by um by barbed wire so it's yeah it's tough. pretty hard thing to do now right absolutely but yeah 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 it's pretty cool no it is it's great to see these things um and you know it's funny I, i'll every once in a while i'll see somebody post something about uh you know wildlife overpasses and how oh my god what a unique thing that new thing that people are doing i'm like well I don't know. We've had them in, in, down in Banff National Park for like 15 years, 20 years. Um, so there, I think there is some good things that we've done. Certainly we can always do better, but 
Um, yeah, you can. You know, uh, so there, and that whole thing that you, the, the wildlife overpasses and underpasses. Um, here in Jasper, actually, last summer, I'm doing tours and I'm heading towards the eastern side of the park, and suddenly I notice, uh, I don't know, there's like a whole pile, many kilometers of stakes on the side of the road. And I'm like, huh. And at that time, there's all kinds of infrastructure work being done. Uh, the federal government, uh, I think, is something like, 300 million dollars investment in basically just you know infrastructure wow. repair and whatnot wow. so they were doing roads and this like this that and the other thing and i and i think jesus what are these uh what are these these uh posts for here and yeah. um i uh i called parks up and uh no i didn't call parks at first i was i, I was i ran into a buddy of mine who's a park warden i said hey do you, do you know anything about all these stakes along the highways I don't have a clue what you're talking about. All right. Okay. So a couple of days later, uh, I run into him again and he comes up to me. He says, Hey, remember you asked me about those stakes? He said, yeah, well, this other warden comes walking into the office parks, head office downtown with a handful of them going, what the hell are all these stakes doing? Right. <laughs> and, uh, parks highways division and, um, and, uh, and, and, and the park superintendent and his staff here, they're not there. Uh, the highways division doesn't report to the, uh, super here so it seemed oh. to be a little bit of yeah they didn't they weren't one hand wasn't shaking the other in that moment and mm. i think what happened uh, and I, again i'm just gonna have to ballpark this and guess but my uh what happened was you know with this infrastructure money highways was given money and you know how it is with some of this funding if you don't spend it you won't get that funding next year sort of thing oh yeah so i think they just went ahead and they surveyed a line and they hammer these stakes in for a fence like the one that um runs through uh banff national park on the trans canada highway yeah so i was like oh, okay you know and <laughs> i understand the logic behind something like that um, um i certainly don't want to see that mortality rate uh, for wildlife go up yeah but at the same time i also think there's other options like slow down <laughs> yes you know um you know, you're in a national park. We already have that one corridor, let's say the Trans-Canada Highway through Banff, which is twinned both ways and people are bombing through it and they're in a hurry. Okay, fine. But you're coming through Jasper National Park. East to west, it's uh, about, I don't know, just slightly under 100 kilometers from east gate to west gate. Yeah. And if you had to slow down, and this is, you know, truck traffic in particular, because they're they're hitting more animals than anybody else. Oh, yeah. Big transport trucks. Yeah. If you had to slow down, let's say by an average, you're down to 70 kilometers and 50 or less in high mortality zones. You're going to add tops uh, an hour to your trip. Yeah. You know, OK. And if you don't like that. You can go up north through Grand Prairie. You could go down through Banff and see how much that adds to your day. Oh, exactly. Like it's going to yeah. actually add you another day. Yeah. And as far as visitors go, hey, you've come to the national park. Don't be in such a hurry. Take your time and uh, have a look around. You know. Yeah. Um, that that I mean I think is a, a, a not a bad alternative to. I don't know how many millions and millions of dollars it would cost to put up that fence. And then once again, to put up um, underpasses and overpasses and some of those pinch points, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and like you said, you're, you're at the, you're in a national park, just slow down. I mean, that's kind of a metaphor of life. Just once you get there, just slow down a bit. 
I actually <laughs> spoke directly to I actually spoke directly to the park superintendent on this issue, and then at the uh, year AGM. Uh, during the question period here just last March, I brought it up one more time um, just to know if it, if there would be a consultation process in this um, so that maybe it, when and if there is one, if they're actually going to go through with the fence, um, that I could bring it up then again there. And, you know, whether or not that would fall on deaf ears, that's yet to be heard. Yeah. And there's, there's things that happen. I mean, I'm sure you've, I don't know if you've ever seen the, uh, Glacier Discovery Skywalk that Brewster put up down by the ice fields. I, I've seen it. Yeah, I've never been on it. But yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, I mean, not to knock anything. There's people who enjoy that experience, but um, there's a lot of people who will argue that the consultation process was false that they didn't go through the right channels and mm. you know that Br Brewster just sort of greased some wheels somewhere in Ottawa. Uh, I mean, I can't. That's just speculation and. Uh, secondhand yeah. news but um you know i i certainly just hope that the processes before they do this are abided by and i and and that we come to the logical conclusion but <sighs> smarter people than me make these kinds of decisions darcy <laughs> <laughs> well we, we we hope that they're smarter but i don't know sometimes i wonder <laughs> um so yeah, they're I really enjoyed the conversation with Joe. I hope you guys did as well. I want to thank Joe for taking the time to chat with me, and I look forward to having him back on the show one of these days. We have even more of this conversation up on our patron page. Uh, Joe and I get, continue talking, and we talk about his involvement in Indigenous tourism and the work that is being done to promote Indigenous tourism through Indigenous-led groups, which is very important. This is part of the exclusive content that we keep telling you about, so head over to our patron page, and become a patron, and you will hear not only um, more of this conversation, but all of the exclusive content that we have up there so far. Next week, Jason and I will be back in the studio, breaking down the latest Métis headlines and stories. So until then, the jig is up. You are the spark that's starting a fire that will spread across this land. And it will be a fire that doesn't burn, but a fire that cleanses. A fire